And you can confirm that this is the same bomber that took out the plane? No, I can't confirm anything. But you are part of this investigation now. Look, we just lost 23 of our people, and two more earlier this week that were very close to me. I don't think anyone, not the RCMP, the FBI, no one's going to tell us to sit on our hands right now, okay? Thank you. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come in, 81 Kilo. Forever Night Podcast. So it's time for another episode. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for season three, episode two, Black Buddha. Get my cord situated here. So this is a second part of a tupada. I have a confession. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a hot take. I don't hate season three. Uh-oh. I've never hated season three. To me, season three feels entirely stylistically different than the first two, but sort of in my head, I compartmentalize each season, and so I like each one for different reasons, which implies I also like season three for its own reasons, and I do. I mean, we've completely moved networks, we've completely changed tone, but to be honest, if season three had had Skanky in it and we had had... 22 more episodes of Skanky not figuring out what Nick is. I'm not sure how well that would have worked. I think we had gotten to a point narratively where to continue to hide the truth from Skanky keeps us from being able to fully explore the character interactions. And if you think about the first two seasons, we have an extremely limited cast. We have Jeanette occasionally. We have Nick and Skanky. Sometimes Skanky is really occasional. We have Natalie occasionally. Really the only person who shows up consistently throughout each episode for long periods of each episode is Nick. Right. Nick and a rotating cast of secondary characters in increasingly improbable situations. And it works and it's fine, but it gives us this very micro story. Whereas now that we have more characters... It becomes a more macro story. Does that make sense? We get, we can play more because we have more space right, to play in. Right, we've developed the world for two seasons. Yeah, and now we have we have room. We have characters that are going to interact independent of Nick. In fact, Vashon and Nick are very rarely going to interact, but not in the way that Natalie and Lacroix never interact, and it feels like a a lapse on the on the part of the showrunners because they are two of like four main characters and they never meet each other. They don't meet each other until Be My Valentine and then I don't think they ever meet again. Yeah. So I love season one. 
I love season two and I do not hate season three. I even kind of like Screed. Screed seems pretty entertaining. I mean, Screed's fun. We needed a a light vampire character. We had Nick, who's very serious and broody and sad. And we had Jeanette, who's, I do what I want. I'm a femme fatale. I'm a thousand-year-old, like, empowered woman. I do whatever the fuck I want. And I kind of shame Nick for his lifestyle. And then we had Lacroix, who was just like the Machiavellian villain in the background, who who always was up to his own shenanigans, but those shenanigans always seemed to involve just shaming Nick. No, there were just so many, and we only focused on the ones that targeted Nick. Right. And now we're like, hey, there's a spectrum. There's not evil vampires and Nick. There's Nick, but there's also Urs, who is actually a like sweet, kind character who also happens to be a vampire. There's Vashon, who's young and irresponsible and who also happens to be a vampire. I mean, young at heart, I guess. Yeah. And then there's Screed, <laughs> he Screed never who never even tries to integrate in real society at all. So it's like, hey, guys, they're people and they get a whole spectrum of personalities and like proclivities. Yeah. So to me, that feels like a good step for this show. I just wish it hadn't come at such a high cost. Yeah. I wish we hadn't had to scuttle Skanky and Cohen and Jeanette in order to shoehorn in these new Well, characters. when you said they tried to, they wanted John Kapalos, Skanky, to become the captain. Yeah. And I think that was a good, a good way that fits the narrative to move Skanky out of the partnership with Nick role. Yeah. But still keep him around so they can every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. but it's like make, taking him from a main character to like a right. side like at, at best a side character. Right, which any situation where you're saying well the Nick skanky thing, it's getting a little old. It's unrealistic yeah. that he hasn't figured it out. We need to move Skanky out of the partner role so that we don't make him look like even more of a fool. Yeah. And to say, okay, well, Skanky is doing such a great job, uh, he gets promoted. Right. And we're looking a, at... It's a respectful way to move yeah, the character out I, of the But I can understand role. John's point. It, yeah. I go from being a main character in every episode to... Is it even worth my time to commit to this and not be able to commit to right. other things? Right, and that's a totally reasonable response yeah. from John Kapalos. It totally so. makes sense. Yeah, and look at the timeline we're working with. We're going from 92 to 96, which doesn't feel like that big of a time jump. But honest to God, the expectations for television uh, would have changed so dramatically from 92 to 96. Look at how much the expectation for television has changed from 2016 or 2017 to 2023. Yeah. If you put on a television show from like 2014, it 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 feels really dated. And you think, well, no, that wasn't that long ago. It shouldn't feel that dated, but it so fucking does. And if you look at just 
stylistically, the way things change from 92 to 97, it's absolutely wild. And the expectations would have completely changed. The way that people wanted their TV presented had completely changed. The things that they got away with in 92, while brilliant and amazing, and I love them, they would not have gotten away with in 96, 97. So you kind of just have to put your context lenses on and realize that this show is trying to stay relevant. And it's not amazing, and it feels really fucking unfair, but it was an attempt to keep the show relevant. And then you just kind of have to move on. And we get some pretty good scenes in this episode. We don't have a cold open. Our DVD version does not have a cold open. It just goes straight to the intro. Right. Uh, So I don't have anything to say we we start with. We just start with, and we go into our new one. And then... We but, come um, back. The one that uh, Meg watched. Yeah, had, Meg had a like, recap. Uh, last week on. Yeah. Which is another sign of the changing times in TV production. Yeah. Principles. Like, there was a time where you didn't recap what happened last episode because there well, was probably not everything re- relevant. Who cared? Yeah. In this case, it was. it's a two-parter. So maybe that justifies the extra effort, but uh, having an expectation that there's carryover plot from week to week is a sign that things are changing and they're trying to keep up. Right. But we start with Nick walking through some reporters, kind of like running the gauntlet into the police precinct. So this is Nick plot wise. He resigned. Yes. Turned in his badge. Correct. Went home. Packed everything up. Packed everything up. Reese calls. Hey, you know where what's her face is? Tracy. No. Uh, she was talking about this guy, JD Vance. JD oh, Valdez, yeah. JD Valdez. Okay, sure. Thanks. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Boo doo 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 doo. I'll be right there. Whoosh. Boom. And then we see him walking into the precinct. Did, when he like hypnotized Reese, did he like wipe the memory of him resigning? Look, did with he... his record, he probably came back and was like, I take it back. I'm coming back. And they were like, oh, thank God. Sure. Because he may do it unconventionally, but he does get results. Right. And so I think it was like, look, it was the heat of the moment. I just lost my partner. I wasn't thinking straight. Do you think we can just pretend that didn't happen? And Reese, I'm sure, was like, yeah, you're going to make me look good. So sure, you can come back. (laughs) And I mean, we kind of just retcon it. It didn't happen because now he's back on the force. He's heading back into the precinct. He's ready to come. He's ready to investigate. We've decided that that the plane was a bomb and we're ready to go find this bomber. And he tells the reporters, I can't confirm anything. We've lost a lot of people and no one is keeping us from this because I'm sure there is a federal agency that would take over the plane investigation. But what Nick is saying is we're not going to let them because we're personally Well, I think the federal involved. agency did take away the plane investigation. Yeah. But now they've tied it to the serial bombings that have been going on in the city, which is totally in the police jurisdiction. Yeah. 
So the police are saying, this is a serial bomber investigation that we've been working on for a long time, or whatever, since it started. Um, you you have the plane piece, but we're going on with catching the bomber. Wait. I just had several revelations all at once. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Nick is still wearing the outfit he was wearing when the bomb exploded. And he came around and he hugs Natalie. Yeah. We are in the precinct where the bomb exploded. And Reese's office is fine. (gasps) Man, those repairmen. Has time? But time hasn't passed because Voodoo's thing is he blows up three bombs, like three escalating attacks in a a seven-day cycle. I think they have... I don't know if it's supposed to be boards, but they have a different kind of blind instead of it's not a like vinyl slat blind on Reese's windows. It just has like a regular blind, like a Roman shade kind of. But it's clearly not. It was blown up enough that they were concerned for Nick's safety. And like we saw a big explosion and yet everything is now fine. I wonder if they filmed these scenes in a different order initially, and then they recut it and put that to back. change the sequence of events. But uh, wait, if you'd have had a recap, you'd have just seen a recap of Reese's office being blown up, and it's not like they could just repaint that. They would have to make sure that the place was structurally sound. That's a lot. Okay, that just occurred to me, like. Whoop, 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 all at once. That's... Plow. Oof. And then another one comes up because he walks in and Nick walks into the precinct and Reese walks up to him and he's like, where's Tracy? And Nick is like, do I look like Tracy's keeper? I don't know who the fuck she is. I just saved your life. Why are you asking me these questions? Or maybe I didn't just save your life. I don't know. Maybe it was a fever dream. And then Reese is like, she went to look for J.D. Valdez. You know, he's at an abandoned church. You ring a bell and Nick's like, yeah, I don't know who that is. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Even though he was just like, yeah, he's the one survivor from the plane crash. I was rationalizing it as him saying, yeah, it doesn't ring a bell to the she was headed to a church. Yeah, that could be it. That could definitely be it. But now that I'm all unsettled because apparently it blew up, but didn't blew up. I don't know. Schrodinger's bomb. Schrodinger's bomb. And then we go into a debrief in the precinct, like a war room. We actually all put our heads together and try to solve this really important case. And totally unprecedented, we listen to the woman. <gasps> not quite yet. Is that not the scene? That's, that's later. In this scene, she's not there, remember, because she's with. Oh, right, because she's missing. Yeah. But we talk about voodoo. And they're like, yeah, he's been at this for years. And the one lady's like, okay, but why do we call him voodoo? And we're like, we don't know. We don't know. It's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Is he voodoo because he like he chose that name? Or is it just because that happens to be the tune on the music boxes? Like, did he find the music boxes that had the right tune? Like, how, how did that work out? We don't know. One of the themes, the overarching theme of this episode, is that some things have no explanation. Right. Some things just happen. Sometimes bad things just happen to good people, and there is absolutely no reason for that to have happened, but it happens. And 
Reese is uh, the after the war room meeting, Reese and Nick are talking to each other and Reese is kind of pontificating about how he just doesn't understand mass murder. What, what goes through someone's mind? Like what gives them, what makes them feel like they can do that? What's the motivation? And Nick is like, uh, okay, so the music boxes, was, was that a dead end? And Reese is like, oh yeah, 4,000 of them have been made. There was a shipment that went missing in 1984. The serial numbers match, but everything else is a dead end. And then he goes back. I just don't understand. I don't understand how people can do that. I, he's like, I know, I've known murderers. I've known all different kinds of people. And they, I don't condone what they do, but they kind of make sense. But then people like this who just blow, like blow people up. Like what, what the fuck? Anyone who participates in the mass destruction of innocent people, man, there's something human missing from their brain. Take Hitler, that monster of all time. Well, now you can tell me that's hate, you can say it's power, you can say it's racism, whatever. I still can't put it together. That man was from a different planet. Look, there's no description of it. And we get the first two thrown away water cups. Yeah, he tries to get water out of the water thing and it won't work and he ends up just storming off and nick ends up getting triggered he gets triggered a little bit by reese because he gets drawn into it he's like oh okay how about hezbollah how about the ira well what about them and reese is like yeah that's what i'm talking about they don't make any sense and he's like okay hiroshima nagasaki and reese goes yeah but they did that to end war and he's like okay so given the opportunity you would make that choice and Reese is like, no, you're 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 twisting this. He's like, no, I'm saying you don't know what's making them make this choice. You don't know if you would make the same decision if you were in their position. And just because you don't you can't figure out what their reason could be that they use to justify what they're doing doesn't mean that they don't have one. Right. And that it doesn't feel justified to them. Right. I'm sure you could rationalize something like that given the right set of circumstances. Right, Reese? And Nick is Nick and Reese kind of, I mean, that's the end of that discussion. There's no good way to wrap that up. Right. And then we meet. We meet. Screed. <laughs> Screed, the... Uh... Screed the Cockney Comic relief vampire. vampire. Yes. The, he's a Karoosh, which we won't know about till the dog episode. But he's basically a lower form of vampire. If you get made into a vampire and the first thing you eat is not a person, it's an animal, then you're going to crave animal forever. Instead of craving human blood. And nobody likes you. You're like the weird, like you're weird Barbie. Okay. You get to be weird Barbie forever. Okay. Um, and that's Screed, except Screed, I think, is perfectly happy with this designation and likes it better than being part of the rest of the Barbie world. <laughs> um, because, and Screed and Vashon are kind of friends. Screed, Vashon, and Urs were sort of an item, like a group, a pack. What would you call a group of vampires? A murder of vampires? What do you call a group I'm, of bats again? A I'm, colony? A colony I'm, of I'm, vampires? I'm wondering what, if there's a good word for like a hunting party. A quorum? I don't know. But Screen and Vashon are chatting because Tracy fainted. And Vashon very helpfully took her to his friend's dungeon rat cave. His his safe house. 
his safe house, his sewer safe house, while they get this all worked out. And Screed's like, um, you boozled the girl. I'm sorry. There's so much weird Cockney slang that he uses. And he's like, you give her the, like, something jammy. Basically, he's like, hypnotize her or kill her or get her the fuck out. I don't care which one of the three you do, but you can't stay here. Hey, it's not a screaming problem, mate. You just do what needs to be done. You look her in the baby shoes and you give her the bloody jammy. You boozle the girl. Right. And she Vashon, can't stay here. Vashon, I think, just kind of pretends to not understand what he's saying because Vash- Screed is always like, go, don't be here. This is my house. It's my comfy space. This is my safe space. I need you to not keep bringing your trash here, like your friends <laughs> and your, like you're, you're bringing business to me and I don't want this business. And he ends up leaving because he's like, can you give me a good reason why you don't have her at the church? And Vashon's like, yeah. The Inca. Poor Inca. He doesn't even get a name. Ugh. He's like, yeah, the Inca. And Screed's like, oh, hold the shit. Uh-uh. I ain't here for this. And then he he says, I ain't veiled you. I ain't escooched you. I haven't seen you. I haven't heard you. Which is what he's trying to say. Yeah. In, <laughs> in, in his Cockney Spanish. <laughs> yeah. And somehow Cockney Spanish. <laughs> and he's like, I- I'm leaving. Um, When I come back here, be gone. And then he whooshes off. Yeah. And then poor Tracy is all tied up. Oh, actually, this is really funny. I can't skip this part because he walks over and he's like, she must taste really good if you're keeping her around like this. That must be the, that's the only reason I can think of why you haven't gotten rid of her yet. And he checks her neck and there's nothing there. And he goes, oh, okay, well, maybe you'd let your friend have a taste. And he, Bashan grabs Screed and like flies him up and pushes him against the wall. <laughs> And Screed goes, I sit, dude. <laughs> I'm behind ya. <laughs> he drops him. <laughs> okay, Screed. <laughs> and then this, then he's like, okay, well, do the deed. Get her out. I got do to Do the deed, dude. Yeah, do the deed, dude. And meanwhile, Nick is like, okay, I'll fucking find Tracy. So he goes to the church to try to find her. And he gets attacked by the Inca. Which he gets like knocked over he gets and pushed. immediately vamps out. And he's like, <laughs> and then of course the Inca just does the green eyed stare. And so he grabs the Inca and the Inca and he like lock eyes. And then they realize they, maybe they could just talk this out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, this is, yes. Greed goes, you expect me to save your Spanish ass? Your Spanish ass? I'm out. Don't be here when I get back. And then Vashon walks over to Tracy, and Tracy immediately is like, because she's all gagged. Right. Right. And he's like, are you going to scream? And she's like, <laughs> and he goes, no, no, are you going to scream? And she says, no, I'm not going to scream. But in muffled, no, I'm not going to scream. Yeah. And then he takes the gag out, and she starts yelling, and so he pushes it back in, and he goes, you can't yell either. <laughs> so she pulls, he pulls it she's out. She's like, quietly now. And she goes, you have got to get me out of here. Do you know how many diseases are represented in here? <laughs> I love her priorities. Right, she's not worried about the vampires. Someone just ate a rat in front of her. They're clearly both vampires. And she's like, I'm sorry, but do you know how dirty it is down here? It is gross. And she's like, why don't you just kill me or let me go? Like, what are you going to fucking do? And Vashon says, I wanted to bite you, but I didn't. Aren't I nice? <laughs> <laughs> I could have killed you. 
And then she says, who is this Inca? Like, who's the Inca? Because, hey, Tracy, getting right to the meat of the problem. Not let me go, not untie me, not get me the fuck out of here. But, hey, tell me more about the Inca. This is is Tracy's brand of her investigative instincts kicking in. Is it? Okay. She has them. She can, you know, follow a line of interrogation. But she can't quite aim it in the right direction yet. Yeah. She hasn't, her worldview doesn't prioritize got, what direction um, her investigation goes. She's got velocity, but not. She's got speed, but not direction. Yeah. What's vector? Uh, a veloc- vector is a magnitude with a direction. Okay. So velocity is a speed in a particular direction. Yeah, but she doesn't know the direction in which she is headlong yeah, she, racing. She can't quite aim her interrogation yet, her investigative instincts Right. Yet. Well, we get this cool scene where the Inca, the Inca, and Javier Vachon are explaining what happened to them and their whole situation in tandem. We're like, one will explain a little bit. And then Javier will explain a little more. And then Inca will explain. And then Javier will explain. And we kind of go back and forth and we're sort of sharing yeah, the we're, one we're and only flashback. Between them. And we share the one and only flashback in this whole episode, which is their origin story. And this is like them chasing each other. And then they're fighting each other I was in this brought river. Across in 1541. Hang on, hang on, hang on. They're fighting each other in this river. And the Inca goes, two great warriors fighting for our lives. And they're just like, whack, whack, whack. (laughs) It's the the best. There's this really, it's hard to find, but it's a K-drama called Vampire Prosecutor. And it's one of the few K-dramas I've watched that actually has two seasons. So there's Vampire Prosecutor 1, which is fine. And then Vampire Prosecutor 2, which got like four times the budget. So they had got to have a lot more fun and a lot more special effects and a lot more. A little bit like another show that we know of. It also ends on a horrific cliffhanger. But in, in Vampire Prosecutor 2, there is a scene where they're investigating this murder that happened in this construction site. And they find out that this group of people were there because they meet up to fight each other. Like Fight Club. Like Fight Club. And in their recollections, they're all fighting like brilliantly. Beautiful kung fu, great sword fighting, just this master warriors. Except when we actually have the flashback of seeing them doing it, it's like slap fights. It's the worst. Just they totally don't know what they're doing. They're just a bunch of rich people who are playing at having a fight club. And that's what it felt like where the Inca was like, we were two great warriors. And then Vashon's like, I don't know. I hit him with my like I whacked him with my spear for like four hours. It sucked. But they duke it out, including when the Inca notably stabs Vashon with the blunt-headed club, <laughs> which would hurt. All right? Oh, Getting that shoved into your gut would hurt. Even if you're wearing a steel breastplate? Yeah. Especially if you go up under the steel breastplate. Especially if you can actually dent the steel breastplate, so then there's a lump pushing into the person. I guess. But they fight all the way until sunset, and then they end up, they give each other mortal wounds. But lucky for them... A hot chick appears. <laughs> She's been watching this whole thing. She loved the hot man on man action. 
How was she watching it from where? It doesn't matter. She shows up and she has the shadows. She has this feather cloak on, which is really cool, but also this crepey linen leotard loincloth combination thing. It's it's a skirt, but they did a side slit all the way up to above her hips. Is this historically accurate? What what culture does this hail from? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. At what point <laughs> in this show have you ever asked in a flashback, is this historically accurate? I ask sometimes. I just don't ever expect a real response. Okay. Okay. Maybe it's because we're going outside of Western history and we're going to the history of an indigenous people where like. You know what? It's fine. It's one of those things where you just go, she was a magic hot woman who roamed about the forest and designed her own wardrobe. Aren't we all lucky to have borne witness to that? Hooray. Okay. So she shows up and she's like. I hear the courage in your dying hearts, which is why I'm going to graphically lick the side of your face. And then... It's part of my process. Yeah. And can I say that the beating sounds in the last two episodes have been exceptionally graphic? Because there's like a crunch and then like a slurp sound. (laughs) They they got some new Foley artists. Right. I guess. And then Vashon talking about it. He's like... (laughs) He's he goes, describing it. It was the most erotic thing that had ever happened to me, and yet so pure. I felt like she was flowing into me, and and he like bites his lip, like it's this really sexual experience. Me watching him, it's like the most deadpan voice and like vacant expression on his face. While he's describing this intense sensual experience with his words, um, like he not really selling it. I think he's trying to play it cool. Like this was an exceptionally intimate experience. And you asked me, it was like asking what it was like having sex with that woman. Right. And so I think he's trying to explain it without being like, yeah, it was. It was fucking wild. Like, it doesn't get better than that. But personally, all I could think was, that's how Nick felt when LaCroix was changing him. And I suddenly found myself a member of the unnamed faction. (laughs) 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 I gather there's a scene. Unless unless it's slightly different for every person as they get brought over. I don't know. I was thinking, I I gather there's a scene in one of the earlier seasons, somebody had messaged me about it, and there's a, after we talked about the unnamed faction, and there's a part where LaCroix wipes the blood off of Nicholas's lips and then sticks his finger in his mouth and Mm -hmm. licks it off, and I guess Nigel Bennett requested to be able to lick that off of Nick's face. Okay. My response was, item number 143 to ask for when they reboot <laughs> when they reboot forever night. Like add some ooh, add some more tension between the, LaCroix and yes. Nick. Can you imagine the complexity this show would have if we gave Nick a little bit more sexual fluidity where he could we could have sexual tension between him and LaCroix? So we'd I think we'd hit on something like this 
earlier um, where like do vampires made from human men still have sex with their penises? Okay. We don't know. We don't know that. Or the only like action that we've seen vampire on vampire is Nick and Jeanette biting each other. It is implied in last act that they have like physical sex because he says the line about, I want to run you through with my sword over and over and over again. Okay. But there is a sensual erotic aspect to vampire sex. Yeah. So if the if the sensual aspect of like having an intimate really an intimate uh encounter encounter with another vampire is like mostly the biting drinking part yes. then you don't need compatible genitals. Correct. So you can like be One with whoever. One would argue you don't need compatible genitals to enjoy being with each other intimately well, anyway. Uh, right. I'm, I'm trying to make a... Okay, so there's... I think there's different... I think there's a varying spectrum of what they can do together, which counts as intimacy. Okay, so here, here's... Here's where I'm going with this. Okay. There was a comedian that had a skit about, um, I think he, he, it was as a response to something some uh, like conservative Republican guy had said. And he was like, well, uh, uh, about genders. Yeah. And he's like, like at a certain level, everybody's transgender because I used to be a boy and now i am a man and you do not think of a boy sexually the same way you think of a man same way with girl and woman Mm -hmm. and and there there can be crosses between those girl to man whatever reframing someone sexually is not like new but what about man or woman or other to vampire could be a whole nother like gender shift okay like when you get brought over into the vampire community it's like you've had this transformational experience there's lots of changes happening in your body right now and that's totally normal and you pay attention to them and kind of like Free yourself from the bonds of your former self yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, you're no longer human man, human woman, he, whatever. Right, you but are vampire. You're vampire. I, I mean, yeah. I get, yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, that makes sense. If you think about it, the thing that they do for reproduction is bite each other, is bite, right? Yep. So what do we do for reproduction? Sex. So is everything that you do for reproduction sex? Which means anytime they bite somebody, it's effectively like having sex with them, which is when we get into the every unsolicited vampire attack is tantamount to sexual assault, Mm -hmm. which is a huge kettle of fish that I don't want to unpack in Black Buddha Buddha Part (laughs) 2. 
because it's one of those things where once you go down that rabbit hole, it calls a lot of things into question. And it really makes you realize that what Nick is rejecting by rejecting blood, like human blood altogether, is effectively like attempting to reform, like um, he's a reformed uh, sexual predator, basically. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And if, so if, if, if we generalize the like sexual predation, vampire biting, the common thing there is violating someone's like bodily autonomy. Correct. And Nick is like, yeah, no, no one can consent to die. I don't violate anybody's bodily autonomy. Yeah. That's my rule. Yeah. And, and he doesn't really ever like explain it that way. Because it's but, the 90s. Right. Yeah. And that's the that's the least glamorous interpretation of the vampire myth. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I don't give that space, but it's one of those things that leaning too heavily into that sort of complicates things to the point where you can't detach yourself and enjoy the story. Right. I mean, vampires essentially are monsters. They are predators. And if you add that level of like lack of bodily autonomy, effectively sexual assault, it makes them even more evil. So that works in a horror vampire story because that's what you're trying to go for anyway. Look how fucking horrible and bad these people are. But when you get into like Forever Night territory where you're trying to frame these characters as nuanced human beings and you get Nick who is effectively a, he's like reformed, but then you get LaCroix who would do it again in a heartbeat. It's hard to love LaCroix when you add that level of nuance to what they're doing. Right, when you're articulating it that. When you really dig into it, it. you get dirty. Yeah. Okay? And so we have to kind of abstract at a level because I don't think that's what they were intending. I think there are definitely vampire properties that intend to use that. They definitely frame it that way. Mm. Forever Night does not. And except every once in a while it does. Like in the Crazy Love episode, it effectively does frame it like that. But I don't, it's the 90s, right? They're not thinking like that. They're not thinking about that in that way because then you can't have likable characters that still engage in that behavior. Right. It's like saying, oh, LaCroix is great. He just occasionally sexually assaults people. Well, we can't have that. that. That makes him a terrible character. Right. And so you have to abstract it out a level. You can't. This is a hard one to navigate because you don't want to discount that interpretation and say, oh, no, just don't think about it as assault. And then you can still have fun. (laughs) That's not great either. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what we have to do, this is a very much a context lenses moment where we have to realize that's not the that is not the conversation they wanted us to have. That is not how they are framing it. That's why so many of them just drink out of like goblets. Yeah. So I'm I'm sorry that the the Nick Lacroix sexual tension thread <laughs> brought us down. You know what? <laughs> this no, no, valley. it's okay because it's a conversation I think we need to have 
in what we're looking at soon, which is probably the rising wave of vampire content. So I've told you before, zombies and vampires alternate. And mm-hmm. we've been in a vampire wave for a, or a zombie wave for a while. And so I can kind of see the beginnings of the vampire wave. But it's going to be a 2023, 2024 more modern vampire wave. So it's probably a conversation that's going to pop up. Right. And so it's something that is important to talk about. It's important to talk about. Is Forever Night the stage on which we discuss this? Not necessarily. And no. so what I'm going to do is say we're going to just leave that on the table like we normally do. And we're going to continue with the episode. And unless the episode wants us to see it that way, we're not going to discuss it that way. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. There. I was trying to tiptoe around that because I do think it's an important thing. And I think it's an interpretation that doesn't get discussed enough. But also, this isn't a modern day vampire show. It's not having a modern day conversation with us. It's having a boomer conversation with us. Yeah. So we just need to leave it be. Um, but what was happening when we went off on this tangent was um, Vashon having his I'm trying to tell you that it was like the greatest sex of my life without telling you it was the greatest sex of my life moment. And then he says, she told us all about this life. And then she went to greet the sun, which means she was basically like, okay, get out a pen and paper. I'm going to give you some notes. She gave them a one night crash course. Yeah. She was like, here's how you fly. Here's how you eat. Stay out of the sun. Stay away from sharp sticks. Don't get your head cut off. Have a great life. See you later. And she went and greeted the sun. And I have to imagine Nick is a little jealous. Like, wait, your maker just left like you don't have to worry about her she doesn't... <laughs> what what do you do when you feel like you've really won something and you have a connection with somebody how does it feel to have no one show up and tell you you're an idiot and take that away from you and Vashon's like what the fuck <laughs> no the Inca he's really talking to the Inca the Inca's probably like are, are you okay and he's like not <laughs> who really who hurt you <laughs> who hurt you I'll tell you who hurt me <laughs> Isla Qua, over and over again But apparently she told them that all they had all simply, simply end senseless killing in the world. That's your only job. You can handle that, right? Good luck, France. (laughs) You need a cultural grounding for that premise. Well, she tells them those who treasure life should live and those who don't should die. Have a nice life. I'm going to greet the sun. See you later. And one of the benefits of LaCroix now having his own podcast booth in the back is he can have multiple podcasts per episode. Hey. Because he's like, what a piece of work is a man. And he goes on this long thing and he's like, and yet to me, what is this dust? Man delights me not. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty. In form, in moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet, 
to me. What is this quintessence of dust? Man delights me. And we can see there's a tape rolling in the background. Yes, so we can. So he's recording this. Yeah, which means he's recording it to use later. He's probably going to he's gonna cue it up, and then he's going to be like, play this next time Nick is feeling really glum about something. Well, my favorite part is, we didn't mention it last episode, but there's a couple of people milling about the raven, and one guy actually has this leather jacket on that says raven across the shoulders in the raven font. And then it has a painting the same as the painting behind the bar, the nip slip woman behind the bar. Yep. And A, I want this fucking jacket. It's beautiful and amazing. And two, this to me canonically establishes that LaCroix has a merch store. <laughs> or or he has No, no. He has branded stuff for the staff. No, you know he advertises on his podcast for Toronto's only Vampire Bar. Come by, we have strippers on Fridays. And then, <laughs> but it's like it's like quote Vampire yes. Bar. And when you walk in, you have to enter through the little shop. <laughs> and he has like goblets. You know the goblets that look like they have liquid in them, and but they don't actually. Yeah. They're just like double walled, but with red in them. And then he has those jackets that have the raven painted on them. He has those cheap, like, hemp necklaces with fake raven feathers on the end of them. He just has this <laughs> merch shop. And whoever's pissed him off most that month has to work and sell stuff to tourists. That's their job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's done. It's canon now. But Nick goes to talk to LaCroix because somebody has to help him. And Jeanette's not there. So I guess it's got to be LaCroix. And he goes, do you know Javier? Javier Vachon? And LaCroix says something about, oh, yeah, he was the last backup for this band. And he goes, I'll take famous Javier's for 500, please. (laughs) 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 And Nick is like. LaCroix has been watching uh, mainstream television. Yeah, he's got nothing else to do. I mean, if Nick's not doing anything interesting, what's he supposed to do? He just watches TV and heckles Nick. It's his entire life. And so he's like, LaCroix the fuck and he's like fine whatever this lady would know about it this innocent angel named Urs she's been running with him for a couple hundred years and <laughs> meanwhile Vashon is still info dumping the Inca must have given him the spark notes because or Nick is already gone he's talking to Lacroix but Vashon is still talking and he's like yeah um I, I'm not like doing what she asked me to do I kind of was young and I had been a messenger and I thought I was going to die. And now I had the chance to not die. And I kind of felt like maybe it was time to fuck around for a while. And if I just kept fucking around hard enough and fast enough, I would never have to find out. The finding out may never catch up with me. Yeah. So it turns out he woke up first and then he just grabbed a stick and stabbed it into the dirt where the Inca was and was like, well, that probably killed him. And then took off. And the Inca has been chasing him ever since. And Tracy. 450 years. It's worse than the lady that Nick accidentally turned into, accidentally killed, and then LaCroix turned into a vampire. And then she spent forever just looking for him to like gain her revenge. 
This would have been close to the same time. Yeah, it would have been. But Tracy <laughs> is giving him a look and he's like, what? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I don't think I like you anymore. I thought I liked you. Fair. You had one job and you couldn't fucking do it. And Your he's master, like, your sire asked you to do one thing. Like one thing. All you and senseless violence in the world. <laughs> Come on, Vashon. And you've, you've. You, you just fucked you up. You ditched him. Are you serious? And Vashon's like, yeah, I was young. Um, somebody asked me to end killing in the world. What the fuck? No, I just left. And she's like, yeah, I don't like you. You're kind of an idiot. And then, and then, this is when we first get to see the glimpse, the first tiny glimpse of Daddy Nicholas that we're going to get a couple of times in season three. <laughs> and he's talking to Urz and he's like, look, Urz, I don't really give a shit if your friend is like a deadbeat vampire who travels around and like shirking his responsibilities. It's cool. Like I've done that. We've all done that. It's fine. I had a couple hundred years where I did that. But he's got my friend and that could be hazardous to his health. So I think you're going to need to tell me where he is for the good of us all. And she must because Screed comes back and he's got this blue box, which in all of this, um, Voodoo has been making new bombs and they're in these blue boxes that say City of Toronto on the, tie, on the side. And then Screed actually finds one. He watches the guy go through the tunnels and then he like pulls one out. And he's brought it back and he's like, look at this. I think it's a cellular, trans cellular transponder. I think I can sell it and make some cash. Huh, Vashon? Vashon. And then he goes, Vaginetti. <laughs> and then he looks over. <laughs> and Nick has Vashon pinned to the wall. And Screed's like, oh, oh, hey, what's up? And he goes, shut up. And Nick tells him to shut up. He goes, shut up. <laughs> oh, just make yourselves at home then. Yeah, he's like, oh, fine. Come down here and threaten him. Make yourselves at home. It's fine. And Nick just goes, shut up. And so then he keeps, like, he turns back to Vashon and Screed goes, are you an enforcer? And Nick just gives him a look like, Ugh. And then Nick is like, listen, you let her in on this and you didn't bother to wipe her memory. Like, okay, she's a resistor or whatever. But if she knows about you and she knows about Screed and she knows about the Inca, then she is yours to protect now. Because if any of the rest of us find out what she is, they will kill her. And I will blame you. And you don't want me to blame you. That Ginetti. Oh, fine. Let's have a party down here while we're about it, shall we? Oh, I finally get a place set up for a little bit of peace and quiet. Shut up! Yourself at home, mate. Me, Cassie, Sue, Cassie. You don't want me, you don't want to see me angry, okay? I'm twice your age, roughly. So you can leave, but if you do, the finding out will catch you. He says, You're only alive right now because you let her go. And you can go face the Inca. He's waiting at the church. Listen, I don't give a shit, okay? This is all your business. You can go face him. He's waiting for you at the church. Or you can be a little bitch like you usually are. It's your choice, man. It's up to you. But listen, eternity is a real long time to keep running. It's up to you, your conscience. He's alive and waiting for you at the church. 
what you do with Tracy is my business. The only reason you're alive right now is because you let her go. You want to take off? Go ahead. But there will come a day, Vachon. There will come a day when you will have to stop and live up to your word. Believe me. Eternity is a long time to keep running. He actually goes running. He does this like, I don't know how Garrett Wynn Davies occasionally like purrs while talking. I'm not mad about it, but he does it at the very end of this where he says, it's a long time to keep running. And this energy is the energy I have wanted from Nick for so long. The like, I am ancient. I am powerful. I am more powerful than you. I have things I want to protect, and there is literally no limit to what I will do to protect them. And I don't care how weak you think I am. You're wrong. Because you haven't seen me protect the thing I love. Or the thing that I just feel like I need to protect. And then he just whooshes off. He's got places to be. He said his piece. And in the meantime, Tracy returns to the precinct. And... Reese, who's been frantically looking for her for a while, is like, oh, oh, you you finally showed up? And she's like, yeah, it's with an informant. And he goes, an informant? This isn't the newspaper. She goes, okay, fine, a source. And she tells him that somebody carried a wrapped package through security and no one checked it. And it was the co-pilot. And she gives him the co-pilot's name. And he's like, okay, well, that's all you got? And she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all I got. Can I just sit here for a minute? And Reese goes, okay, that's fine, but then go home, okay? And Natalie is standing in the back in her beautiful little dusty rose, like, power suit that she's wearing. And Reese looks over and meets her eye, and then he does, like, a chin jerk, like, I think she needs you. Yeah. And so Natalie rises to the occasion. She comes over and checks on her. She's like, hey, are you okay? Everything all right? And Tracy goes, have you ever had something wonderful happen to you? But it turned out it was just really disappointing. And Natalie's like... Ho girl, sit down. I got a list. (laughs) This one time I met a vampire and I thought we were going to get together because he was hot and he needed my help. And I thought that was code for we were going to bang forever. But it turned out that was a lie. And then I started dating this guy because I met him and he seemed really nice. And he took me out to this like nursery and it was really cool but it turned out he was a serial murderer and he tried to kill me and then nick asked me out on a date and i thought this was going to be really great but then i don't remember anything that happened from the time i arrived to the restaurant until the time i got home and then he never asked me out on another date again oh i'm sorry did you have something you wanted to tell me tracy yeah go ahead no it's fine (laughs) well she just starts crying it's really sad And then we cut to Natalie and Nick are at Nick's apartment. And Natalie's like, oh, is that seriously? That's what this is all about? Oh, Tracy, you stuck your foot in some shit. And Nick's like, "Uh, okay, Uh, but I want a motive. Like, I want a reason. I want to know why Voodoo is doing this. He's like, yeah, yeah, Tracy found out about vampires, whatever, whatever, whatever. Can we talk about Voodoo for a minute? (laughs) (laughs) Talk about the important stuff. Yeah, because he's listening to the Black Magic song. And he's like, did he pick the song? Was it just on the music boxes? Like, what's happening? And then we cut back to the precinct because Karen's sister, the co-pilot's sister, is there to talk about her. And apparently she had a man in every port. 
And this one she referred to as Toronto Jerry. Or is it Toronto Gary? Jerry. Oh, okay. Because he introduces himself to Tracy as Gary. So I wonder if it, it was may supposed have been to be a Gary. slip of the tongue. Yeah, I don't know. But she says he was charming, good looking, and great in bed. This is what I'm talking about. This actor keeps getting referred to as like really handsome. Yeah. Maybe he's 90s handsome. I don't know. Some of the new actors now, I'm like, mm mm. No. So. So Reese is like, yeah, great. We can totally put that on a poster. Uh, actually, Nick says that. He oh, goes, Nick does. He goes, oh, charming, good looking, great in bed. <laughs> Sounds like a real winner. And then he's like, Tracy, did your source tell you anything else? And she goes, actually, I think I'm pretty much done with that. Like, I don't think I'm going to get anything more from that. And Nick goes, oh, okay. Well, you know what? Some relationships just aren't meant to be. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck did you say she to goes, me? <laughs> did your informant uh, see her with anyone at the airport? I think I got just about all I could get from him. Some relationships just aren't meant to be. Why did you say that? What? Some relationships aren't meant to be. With informants, you know, I mean, sometimes they just don't work out. Yeah, right. What? Why did you, why would you say that? And he's <laughs> like, oh, you know, with like sources, sometimes, sometimes you think a source is going to be really great and they just, they just end up being a, a dead end, you know. It's it's fine. It's fine. You know, it's fine. Tracy goes, yeah, a real dead end. And then she laughs. And Nick's like, what? Why are you laughing? And she goes, you wouldn't understand. Oh, boy, would he, Tracy. Oh, boy, would he. But then we cut back to Urz and Vashon at the Raven. And Urz is actually drinking, but Vashon is like... D- dipping, dipping his, his finger? He's like running his finger around the inside of the cup and then just like tapping it. I don't know what's happening there. He's making it last longer. It, okay. I was thinking maybe it was like he's used to uh, not always having enough blood. And so just like dipping his finger in it and licking it is a way to make it last longer. Uh, Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter because basically what he's telling Urz is, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Confront the Inca. No, thanks. I've made it 450 years. Sounds like I can make it eternity. And Not so Urz is telling him, well, but I kind of like it here. She's, and he's like, I, I didn't say you had to come with yeah, me. Yeah, we're not running together anymore. You can hang out here. It's fine. Maybe we'll see each other again later. No problem. But I got to go. Bye. And he kisses her and leaves. And then we get to another war room meeting where we're all in a group again. And this is where they're kind of talking about like, okay, well, we think it's voodoo. We don't think it's voodoo. He has the three bomb, but we maybe we threw, we threw the three bombs out. And then they're like, actually, maybe Dollard bombed the fourth location on his own. And because it broke the pattern, that's why voodoo bombed him. Because we know he's a ritual killer. He has to have his ritual. And Nick is like, you're full of shit, Tracy. He shuts her down. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, that doesn't sound right. I don't like it. But Reese is like, hold, hold. I think she's got a point. And as soon as he says that, Nick's like, you're right. Let's do this. Right. (laughs) He caves immediately. At first, he's like, no, that can't be it. That can't be right. And then he's like, It's like his gut reaction is just like Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar. Like, I know you just made a, like, poorly informed decision about a guy and so everything you say from now on is suspect. Yeah. yeah. I think this at this point we need to pause and explain your reference that you just made because I'm not well, sure well, any I've never seen anybody else on 
a review of Interstellar be angry about that scene like I get angry about that scene. Oh, okay. Well, we've talked about it on this podcast. No, before. we've talked about it on Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Uh... Yeah. So Interstellar is a movie with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, and it's a really, really good movie. But there is one very specific plot hole that almost completely ruins the movie for me, and it's really why I it's not rewatchable for me. And it's right after they get through the wormhole into the galaxy where there's the potentially habitable planets. And they know that there are three planets that have gotten a yes. That they have, they, they have three yes signals for. to go pursue, but they can't go visit them all. Right. They don't have enough fuel to visit them all. And there is one that had the most promising numbers, but it stopped transmitting a short time ago. And then there's another one that has promising numbers and it's still transmitting, but it's far away. And then there's another one that's fairly close and it's been transmitting, yes, but it's too close to the black hole. And so they know that going to this one is risky. So Anne Hathaway suggests that they go to the one that had the best numbers, but has since stopped transponding. And Matthew McConaughey shuts her down specifically because she had a relationship with the guy who's on that planet. He's like, the only reason you want to go there is because you fucked him. Your boyfriend's there. Your boyfriend's there. Let, we're going to the one by the black hole. And so the one guy who's like off the top of his head physicist scientist guy is like, okay, well, it's so close to the black hole that five minutes on that planet will be 15 years of real time. And no one in this entire room full of very smart scientists, including the guy that just did that record, that number in his head, says that means that that transponder has only been transmitting for 15 minutes. No one reverses the equation until they get down there and they're like, oh, of course. The, right, when the, they find the, the time wreckage. is so distorted here that she literally only died 10 minutes ago. Oh, my God. Butterfingers. And so had they gone to Anne Hathaway's planet at the beginning, it would have been a slam dunk immediately. We wouldn't have had all of the other conflict. And it feels like such a shoehorned in conflict that it just it just rubs me the wrong way. It fucking bothers me. And that's what that feels like. That's, yeah, that's Nick, what you're referring to. Nick immediately to. shutting her down. Yeah, Nick referring Nick shutting her down immediately is like, I don't trust your judgment right now because I don't trust your assessment of Vashon. I, I think you're suspect right now. And right. so I think everything you do is suspect and I'm not willing to entertain your, your even though you might have a good point. Anyway. I, I wonder if they had done like multiple takes of that scene and like one of them, they were like, okay, Gare, you're going to just shut her down. You're going to be really skeptical. And then another one, uh, Reese was like, oh, yeah, Tracy, I'm listening. And then they, like, spliced them together weird. Yeah. And so Nick goes into, no, your your judgment is horrible. And Reese says, nah, she might have something. And then Nick says, oh. He actually just yeah. says, mass murder voodoo. Go on, Tracy. Meg said it felt like they cut the script up and put it in a bowl, and then everybody just <laughs> and drew threw lines. threw all the pieces up Everybody in the just air. drew lines. Yeah. A bit like that. But meanwhile, Tracy meets the bomber in a very only the lonely twist. She goes to the coffee shop, 
And I love the coffee shop sign because it says coffee shop in like the most 90s font ever. Yeah. And Tracy meets the bomber, Gary Reynolds. Uh, he bumps into her and conveniently. He, he charms her. Yeah, he, he starts his seduction. And then we get to more Screed because Vashon has basically moved in with Screed and Screed's not happy about it. He's like, if you think you're going to hang out here and hide from the Inca here, you've got Linguini between the plug holes, friend. And so he starts out just very abstractly implying that he should leave and Vashon's doing nothing. And so he just gets more and more clear until he just pokes his head back out and says, leave. leave. He goes, leave. You're going to leave? Leave. And then we get Nick because Nick is really trying to make sense of this. He wants Genki's death to be for a reason. He wants the people that he lost to have been lost for a reason. Right. And so he's really trying to put that reason together. And so he's sitting in his thinking robe on his laptop computer. Very fancy home Very office. Very fancy. Well, the Nightcrawler is like, uh, why try and probe a murderer's mind? You won't find a clue in mine. And in my notes right here, in all capital letters, I have Nick in jeans. <laughs> because when we go back to the precinct, Nick, and I cannot stress this enough, is in jeans. And can I say I have missed this man's ass? <laughs> I really have. He was in oversized trench coats and billowy pants and just unfortunate, like unfortunately fitted outfits for an entire season. And now he's in light wash jeans. With his shirt, but like tucked in mm -hmm. with a belt and just chef's kiss. That was a chef's kiss sound for me. <laughs> and so he comes over and he sits on the desk because Natalie walks in and Natalie is wearing a banging black version of her power suit and it looks fucking amazing. And she sits next to him on this desk and he's like, I just can't help thinking, but like, what would Skanky do if he were here? And she goes, yeah. he would start with the obvious. And he's like, okay, well, he attacks authorities, usually using women as carriers. And we don't follow through on that reasoning. And then we cut immediately to yeah. Tracy. Tracy. Tracy seeing the bomber as she's walking out of the coffee shop. And she's like, yeah, I'd like to stop here and get a bite to eat. And he's like, oh, do you have time for another cup of coffee? And she's like, sure. So they hang out. And then he, quote, leaves a bag, which we've seen him building the bomb. And so we know this is a bomb in the bag. And she's like, oh, my new best friend appears to have left a wrapped package. <laughs> and there's a bomber on the loose whose pathology I'm probably familiar with because I've clearly studied it. But that's okay. And so she just takes it back to the precinct. <laughs> and hold on. She also just told Reese, the, the co-pilot, or you know, somebody took a bag onto the like a gift yes. bag onto the airplane and didn't like bypass security correct and then she gets left with a bag with a gift bag yes by a strange man come on tracy keep right up. well he did give her, her his number so she's like it's fine but she walks in and she's like beaming so natalie is like oh girl which Whatever hold, hold you on. got, I want some uh, of that. Another thing I wanted to say. If Vishan hadn't, like, ruined the chemistry that was going on between him and Tracy, 
this guy bumping into her would not have turned into a like romantic cup of coffee. Correct. Before they go into work. He may have just found somebody else. Yeah. Another vector in. But Vashon luckily is creeping and watching her this entire time. <laughs> I mean, for her benefit, obviously. That's why he's Right. He's her. not done with Tracy. He just kind of messed up. You know, he stepped in some mud on yeah, the path. Just because you a don't want to eat the Tracy. sandwich doesn't mean you want somebody else to fuck it. <laughs> 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 okay. So she walks in and Natalie is like, Oh girl, what's happening with you? You look really good. Like whatever what you've been taking, I want, I want some. It. Yeah. I- I've got a lot of stuff in my drawer back at the morgue, but whatever it is you're taking, it's not doing you know, I want whatever you've got. And she goes, A totally normal thing happened to me. And Natalie's like, Oh, normal is good. <gasps> I sounded like your mother. <laughs> or Natalie. She's not that much older. Well, if if Nick gets to have daddy energy, then maybe Natalie gets to have mommy energy. See, but that is different. <laughs> it's not the same. And I, I okay, I'm not even no. Okay, well, so Screed's blue box is coming. I'm just gonna, I'm not even gonna address that because Screed was gonna go hawk it, and he did so. It happened. So Reese is like, some idiot homeless guy found this, thought it was a cellular transponder. It's so hard to say. Cellular transponder. And turns out it's a bomb. And he tried to sell it. And so we got a hold of it. And here it is. And so he's like walking in real determined with this like determined step. And so Nick falls in line behind him. Tracy falls in line behind Nick. And then like 15 people... just appear out of the like out of doors and out of sight like they pop up out of the woodwork it's and like they, a conga line. they all conga line down down the hallway um and then they all kind of gather in this room and <laughs> it's because this is a bomb there's like a giant pile of c4 or simtex is what they call it there's a giant pile of simtex just Sitting there, and Nick is like, "What is this? Half a kilo? That does not look like no, half a kilo. How fluffy half, is that shit? Half a k, half a key is what he key. says. Half a key. Yeah, I guess if you grow up using kilos, yeah, uh, but it doesn't look like half a kilo unless it's like whipped because it's huge, right? That's if you a had, lot. That's a fucking lot to be half a kilo. And he's like, oh, "Okay, so he has enough to make sixty of these," and they're all like. Oh, shit, because that's enough to level a city block. But luckily, the Inca has arrived and attempted to communicate by handing his necklace off. He hands his necklace to the lady. The lady brings the necklace back to Nick and Tracy and is like, this guy is here and he wants to try to catch the third bomber. And Nick goes to reach for it, but Natalie, uh, not Natalie, Tracy takes the necklace and goes, I'll handle this. So she just walks back over and gives the Inca his necklace back. Uh, yeah. And, and that's then when Natalie they end up, comes over. Well, that's when they end up all going in the back. And so they run out because they're like, oh, shit, there's 60 of these. It's going to level the entire well, city is, of isn't Toronto. Isn't that where Natalie comes in and says, is he? Uh, and yeah. And Nick says, yep. yeah. And she goes, oh, this is getting complicated. Yeah. And then she leaves. <laughs> Which right. means Natalie is Keeping up. Correct. Yeah, she Natalie can, is like... She can just see a vampire good and be like, hold on. Which is good because we've ditched the white makeup. Thank thank all the makeup gods. We've finally ditched the 
every vampire has white a uh, foundation on that's two shades lighter the, than they, their actual skin. <laughs> I, I can imagine the like the meetings a- ahead of time, like preparing for the two part intro to season three, and they're like, yeah. "All right, makeup people, let's do our thing. Let's get the vampires ready." And the Inca shows up, and he's like, "Hold on, you're gonna put white makeup on me? <laughs> uh, what uh, the uh, fuck? No, thank you." No, thank you. And I then mean, they're like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Let let me, we need to revisit this. And then they're like, let's just not put white makeup on any of the vampires. The only person I think they continue to tone down is Nigel. Because Nigel is quite tan when he? he doesn't, yeah. And so I think he's the only one, plus he's like, he's supposed to be older. Right. And, you know. So it but, makes sense for him to stand right. out. But like season one, Nick, is almost cartoonish because they they dial him all the way down to white and then they'd put like pink on his cheeks right. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's fine. Sometimes it's worse than others. And then yeah. season two is mostly just like light foundation. And then season three, they're like, it's fuck it. It's fine. It's fine. But my favorite part about this is they run out and Reese is like, okay, I'm going to get the bomb squad looking. I'm going to get everybody. Like we gotta, we gotta evacuate the subways. We gotta evacuate. Like we just got to evacuate. I don't know where they're going to go. But we got to get them out. And skate or, uh, Oh, I almost said skinky. Hang on. Tracy goes, okay, well, I know a guy who's an underground engineer. I'll give him a call. She probably could call the, like, head of the underground engineers. Right. Like, the leader of the group and not the guy she met for coffee on accident earlier today. But that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And Nick is like, okay, I'm on the homeless guy. So he throws his coat on. I know the homeless guy who sold it. Yeah. He goes, I'm going to follow up on the homeless guy. So he goes to leave and he looks at the Inca and the Inca looks at him and he just gives this like, okay, fine. Look. And the Inca's like, quickly touches his arm. And the Inca's like, yes. He does the like the Nick touch your arm thing. I know. And like he gets a little vampire buddy. Like he gets to do some stuff with other vampires where it's not them being like, oh, God, we're with the vegan. It's, like, <laughs> it's just like it's so nice. And I was like, oh, this show giveth and this show taketh away because we lost so much. And then we get this thing that we've been waiting for for so long, which is like Nick, although he's a part of I mean, he's a part of a community. He's the weird part of the community, but he's a part of a, like a small community of people, of vampires. And he finally gets to be like, all right, come on, buddy. Like, we'll do this together. And he ends up forming like a ragtag team of bomb hunting vampires <laughs> to scour the underground. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Because Tracy calls Gary and the phone rings and it turns out Gary is buying a plane ticket. And Vashon is there because Vashon is only there to go buy a, buy a plane ticket. And he happens to see this guy there because he just yeah. talked to Urs about it. And recognizes him from when he was spying on Tracy at the coffee For shop. For her own good, yes. And so he sees him lie to Tracy and he's like, oh, I smell some shit. And he tells her to meet him at St. Patrick's Station and bring my bag with you. You got my bag, right? From the coffee shop? Can you bring that with you? And she's like, oh, yeah, Sure. And meanwhile, Nick goes to Screed because Screed's the one who sold it. And he's like, okay, do you have more of these? Screed has like six lined up behind him. <laughs> and he's like. He's been collecting. And he's like, you got more of these? And he's like, yeah, they're all over down there. And he's like, okay, well, we got to get them. They're bombs. And he's like, they're not bombs. And he's like, yeah, they're bombs. And there's enough to level a city block. And he goes, oh, is that the goo inside? And he's like, yeah, it's the goo inside. 
And Screed goes, all right, two bills apiece. Ten. <laughs> Ten bills apiece. He says two. Well, like later, later he ups it. He oh, ups I it, yeah. I thought it was ten. No, at first he says two bills apiece. And okay. Nick goes, ah, twist my arm. Yeah. And then, then Vashon interrupts Gary trying to leave. He, like, grabs the door. And this is the part where Gary flees. And this guy's just walking by. He's not even in Vashon's way. And Vashon just goes, and pushes, <laughs> pushes him, him onto the taxi. And then he tries to run. And this car with a donut stop strapped to the top <laughs> comes by. But he gives chase, and then we go back to Nick and Screed, and the Inca are like speed combing the subways, vampire whoosh, style, whoosh, 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 like superhero finding all of these bombs. And then, uh oh, Gary gets a minute, and he activates Tracy's music box. Uh-oh. And this is when Vashon finds him, and he's like, "Oh, you're late." And Vashon goes, "For what?" And then he pow, pow, shoots Vashon, bang bang, and then he just goes. Voodoo. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Uh, and then Tracy. Tracy calls it in. She calls Reese. And for some reason, she feels like she has to sit in this empty space with the bomb. When she and could just. It, it's going to be a lonely bomb. She could just. company. Leave. She's right there by the water. She could chuck it in the water. In fact, she plans to drive it into the water. She could put it in her car and just set her car to go forward and drive the car. The car itself could drive into the and, water. Yeah. Hop out of the car once it's rolling. Yep. Yeah. Um, she could just leave it and leave it for the bomb squad and try to get away as fast as possible. Yeah. There's a myriad of things that could be done here, but she's just like, if I leave this bomb... uh. Bad things will happen. I can't uh, leave this bomb here or else. Or else. Yes. That's it's what's just, going through her yep, head. That's exactly what it is. And so Nick hears from Reese. He gets a phone call in the subterranean network of tunnels. They're cellular transponders. <laughs> oh, okay. They, they still operate as cellular <laughs> transponders, right? And he's like, okay, tell Tracy I'm right around the corner. I'll be there in less than a minute. And so he looks over at Screed and Screed's like, oh, you're telling me that these things are already set to blow and you want me to keep collecting them? And he goes, $500 a piece, Screed. And Screed goes, I'm immortal. I'll take my chances. <laughs> keep going. The debt's set and you expect me to find more bombs? 500 a piece. I'm immortal. I'll take my chances. Uh, what do they do with them? Do they disarm them? <laughs> like, why Screed do they take them to the to, to the bomb squad? Why just, do the other like thirty nine not blow well, up? Well, they never got set. He only really sets. I don't know, honey. Oh, oh, oh! You know what it is? Okay, all right. I I think I know what it is, but I'm gonna tell you that when we get there. Can you wait? (sighs) Oh, I'll tell you right now. Because when Gary arrives, because Gary, of course, arrives while she's on the phone with Reese. And she's like, he's here. And Reese goes, Nick? And she goes, no. Voodoo. Boop. And she's like, the phone. And he takes it and throws it. And he's like, some of my best work. That's got a five, like a five-minute mainspring, 10-mile radius. Yeah. So it is the trigger for all the other bombs. all of them. But if they can get it 10, maybe that's why she can't leave it. No, that doesn't make any sense. But if she, if they can get it 10 miles away, it won't trigger the other bombs. I'm going to go with 
Screed finds them all, or maybe even Nick showed them how to disarm them. I think it's supposed to be this is the trigger for all the other bombs, but it has to explode within 10 miles of all the other bombs. Yeah. You know what? Let's just, that. that's it. That's, I think, what they were trying to go for. So I think we'll just go for it. Because Vashon arrives, and he's like, I think probably the best thing I could do here is just bite and kill Voodoo with my teeth. Yeah. Just as Nick arrives. And Nick is like, oh, he could have disarmed it. And Tracy's like, no, he said he couldn't. Yeah, the bomber is going to tell you that he can't disarm right. the bomb, and we should totally trust him. Yeah. Yeah, that's Definitely fine. believe him. And the Inca's like, oh, no, I've got this. I'm going to go to Mother Moon. Hand me the thingy. Yeah, like, I shall she fly went off to it. Father Son. I will go to Mother Moon. Yeah, and Nick is like, Tracy, you need to get the fuck out. And she's like, no, Nick, you don't understand. And Nick's like, I really feel like you're the one who's not picking up with what I'm putting down right now. <laughs> like, everybody else is probably going to be fine. You need to get out of here. And Nick grabs Voodoo's head. Very, like, <laughs> he's like grabs his face and he's like tell me why and i'm sure the guy's like because <laughs> he just grabs him by the throat and then he just he starts singing the song right and then he's like and he dies eh okay and meanwhile they're just like the inca takes it and they're all like oh okay cool thanks man like nobody is like oh the inca poor inca he just flies off and then he flies i guess 10 miles away up into the atmosphere so, <laughs> 10 miles, <laughs> line of sight visibility, yeah. issues, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Just leave it. You know what? It's okay. It's okay. Hold on. No. I, I have I have a thought. Okay. Oh, that's that's dangerous. But go ahead. If he was 10 miles away. Yes. And we could still see him. And he's mostly up. Can vampires fly to space? <laughs> what happens if they fly to space? Okay, well, we talked about this in the asteroid episode. Because if it's possible for them to survive freezing temperatures, can they go to space and simply freeze solid? Or would they explode because it's a vacuum? I mean, if they... Okay, so if they starved themselves so they didn't actually have any liquid in their bodies, and then they flew to space, could they simply freeze solid... And hibernate that way. And eventually they would fall into Earth and it would warm them up and thaw them out. And then they could like slow their fall so they wouldn't burn up in the atmosphere. Would would they become unconscious because their body is frozen solid? I don't know. I don't think this is a question we can answer, to be honest. And it's not a question that the show's going to answer. So we'll just leave it there. Okay. Aww. But my favorite part about this is because Tracy is all like, oh, no, Nick saw everything. And so that Sean, like, turns him around and he's like, I want you to look into my eyes. And Nick gives this, like, well played, sir. It's <laughs> like, all right. I accept this. Is this is so embarrassing. I can't believe you're doing this to me. But that's fine. It's cool. I get it. it it'd be like a kid being like, I'm going to explain something to you. And you have to pretend like that's exactly what how it's happening. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah. So he's like, uh, I'm going to tell you how everything went down and you're going to believe me. And Nick like nods like, okay, fine, whatever. And so Tracy goes to see uh, in the wrap up, Tracy goes to see Vashon 
And it feels like there's this electric guitar music playing over everything, but it turns out it's Vashon playing the electric guitar because <laughs> she walks up and he stops playing it. And it just reminded me of that scene in Barbie where it's like, can I stare into your eyes and play the guitar at you for four minutes? I would love that. <laughs> uh, but she's like, oh, Vashon, you're still here. And he goes, yeah. Um, of course I'm still here. And she goes, well, I went to see Screed, but he's gone. I kind of figured you'd be gone. He goes, eh, every time he gets money, he runs to Vegas. He'll be back here shortly. And he goes, did Nick? And Tracy goes, oh, he doesn't remember anything. And Vashon's like, oh, okay. All right, great. That's, that's, that's what we're sticking with. Okay. And uh, that's really great. I'm glad he doesn't remember anything. Yeah. And then meanwhile, Natalie and Nick are having their own wrap up. At Skanky's grave, because Nick is taking the partners of the month plaque to Skanky's grave. And he's like, I just wanted a reason. I just wanted to know why. And Natalie's like, if you knew why, would it make it better? Would it bring him back? Part, isn't it? Mortality. Having to leave the people you love behind. Well, you never get used to it. And when it doesn't make sense, when there's no reason. Does it really help to have one? Would it have made a difference if Voodoo had been an out-of-work cop or an anti-government maniac? Would that have cleared it up for you? Made you feel better? I guess not. Would you feel better? I feel like Natalie's probably the expert on this right now because she's lost a lot of family members. Mm -hmm. And so she puts the like her flowers down on the grave and then they kind of stand up and they're standing by the grave and she's like, some people just leave with no reason. Because Nick says they should be with us. They should be in season three with us. And Natalie's like, <laughs> sometimes executives write parts out of the script for no reason. This really feels like a commentary. This whole wrap-up section right here feels like the veteran show, like the veteran show characters commentary on all of the shakeups that happen when they move to the new network. Yeah. Because it's very much like you're not going to get an explanation about why they're gone. They're just gone. And you just have to move on and watch season three without them. We have to try to make the best of it. We have to try to move on. We have to try to embrace the new characters and incorporate them into our lives the way we've incorporated Skanky and Cohen and Jeanette in the past. Okay? Okay, okay, watcher? <laughs> they ain't coming back, okay? So don't be mad about it. We just need to... You're not going to get an explanation. You just need to move on. Okay? Yeah. But it's so... I mean, that's it. That's the last we're going to hear about Skanky pretty much forever. Because we now have 20 more episodes of season three and then done. So how do you feel moving into a season that has no Skanky, no Jeanette? I mean, Cohen wasn't really a character. Right. I miss her, but... She it's know. bullshit. It's bullshit. Um, I can see, like, we talked about it earlier in the episode where I can see where keeping the Nick Skanky dynamic the same would just feel stale stale yeah i think getting rid of Jeanette was stupid because the nick Jeanette dynamic was really good you want to talk about somebody that could have had daddy and mommy energy like we're daddy yeah. and mommy to our gaggle of little like rambunctious vampire pals right would have been like mm. you could have brought back all the like Gomez and Morticia Adams, like, fuck me energy. The, 
yes, we're good parents, but also every time we're in the room together, we are actively trying to keep our hands off of each other. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, this yeah. show is really risque. I mean, if you look at what some of the people in The Raven are wearing, there's one lady that has fishnight tights and a thong on. Right. There's a topless dude with silver booty shorts. There's like, there's quite a lot of skin going on. Uh, this analogous would be how you felt the first time you watched True Blood and how much skin you saw in True Blood. Yes. That's what this would have felt like. You went from no skin to um, some pretty revealing outfits in The Raven. The Raven is supposed to feel extremely sexual. And it would have in, 19, in 1996 when this aired. It would have felt extremely risque and edgy and like sexual. Yeah. Because of all the skin getting thrown around. And then Jeanette's not even in it. Right. Ugh. Jeanette would never have let the club get decorated like that, though. No. 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 But we'll we'll see where it goes. Yeah. I, I want everybody to... I don't know how you feel about... This is for the listener. It's not for Matt because he's never seen it. But I know a lot of us listening to this have already seen season three. And we all have a lot of preconceived ideas about season three. And kind of suspend them. Because I think what we're going to try to do is, what I want to try to do is talk about how there is a lot to love in season three. There's some real misses. <laughs> but there's some there's some real home runs too. And I think if you judge everything by Vampire Dog, sure, it's all shitty. But if you remember that there are some pretty poignant moments in season three that give us some of the things that as vampire fans we've been longing for for seasons like daddy nick yelling at vashon and being like trust me eternity is a real long time to keep running from the king of running away from the consequences of his decisions okay so fucking good yet it's in season three so bear with us we're going to make it through season three together. And I think when we unpack each episode, you'll find they're not as bad as you think they are. You just have to remember, stylistically, it's three separate shows. Because the way they were made was three separate ways. Season one is produced entirely by the CBC for Canada as a Canadian product. Season two is made on spec first-run syndication, they filmed it hoping to find a network for it by saying, hey, look, we've already got most of the show filmed. We we'll hand you the package. You just air it. That's an entirely different way of making a show. They had to make it safe so they can market it to any network. Season three is an American network. It's the USA network. So you go from a Canada show produced by Canada for Canada to a show on the USA network. So all three seasons are really three style, three different methods of producing a television show, three different sets of expectations, and three different sets of rules. So three different sets of market pressures. Yeah, three different sets of market pressures. It's it's easy to just be like, oh, they did that to make it more sellable. Well, yeah, kinda. <laughs> yeah, kinda. Like, at a certain point. The show has to make money to yeah. continue existing. It's like Lucifer. Lucifer was originally on Fox, and then it gets picked up on Netflix. Netflix has a lot fewer rules about what we can do 
And so you get an entirely different feel because now you can have nudity. You can have graphic discussions of sex. Uh, yeah, it changed. Of course it did. It changed right. networks. And the, the audience that they need to accommodate, like make it palatable for, is yeah. completely different. Yeah. And I, yeah, of course it sucks. I'm not saying it doesn't. I want Skanky back too. But let's give Tracy a shot. That's what I'm saying. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Okay. Well, then until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. This, some poor schmuck's entire existence, his hopes, his, his dreams, his memories, his fears, his loves, his lusts, all reduced to one gray glob plopped in formaldehyde. Oh, man, is this any way to end up?